there, there is so much in this whole, in this vast revelation, this stream of revelation. And uh, I just want us to take the time to settle certain, certain things in, in the spirit so we can begin to build. Uh, I was in uh, Accra, Ghana in May, May this year. And can somebody close that door, please? Thank you. I was in Accra, Ghana in May of this year. Actually, we were doing a GOSIM, the second GOSIM in West Africa. You were there last, last year. So this year, we were, we, that's, that's the meeting we were running. And uh, one of the most seasoned pastors and man of God that's been following us for years was in that meeting, Pastor Leko Amusho. And after we've taught and taught and taught and taught and taught, he just raised up his hand and said, Pastor, he said, is there any way you can just write a curriculum on this thing so that we can take it and run with it? Now, what got my attention is the fact that everything we've said on grace, this guy had been there all along. We did three meetings in Nigeria, back to back to back, that we called GBC. You were there. You were one of those meetings. Uh, where we began to introduce this message. And with each time we teach, we give uh, one of those training manuals. So I'm saying to myself, what have I said that's not already committed to writing that you don't already have? So I just told him, I said, Lekon, you have everything already. And I left it at that. And so then I left, I came back to the U.S., and I was preparing for under meeting, and it just now occurred to me as I was preparing for that meeting that perhaps we need to simplify this message. And I don't know if you guys have watched movies where the screen will open, the movie start playing, and then they'll have a script that says 10 years earlier. I'm always struggling with that because I'm, I'm already watching the movie, now you take me 10 years back. So I need to catch what happened 10 years, and then you bring me back, and back. And I used to tell my friend, man, it's like this is a new thing with movies these days. They're always taking you back to take you forward. And if you don't pay careful attention while you're watching a movie, if you miss that line that says five years earlier, if you blink and you just miss that, and they quickly take you back to that scene, you just get lost. You get lost. But there's a reason for which they're taking you back to fill in a context so they can take you forward. But if you miss that little script that says five years earlier or ten years earlier, whatever it is, you miss the whole movie. Well, that's exactly the way your Bible is put together. And if you don't understand that, and you just open the scriptures, begin to read Matthew or Romans or Ezekiel, and you do not understand that it's going back and forth and back and forth. And you don't have understanding of the correct chronological order. We are going to come out saying things that the Bible has not said. Well, let me rephrase that. We're going to come out say, making applications that the Bible is not making. And we will not get what God desired from the scripture we are, we are, we are looking at. This is big. Yeah. So this opening session I want to speak on 
reading your Bible without getting confused. Reading your Bible without getting confused. Because I had to go back and say, okay, why are we struggling with this message? Because you teach and teach and teach and you think people, okay, they should have come to some level of understanding. They should understand what you're saying. And I'm sure they mean well. They, 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 they actually really do want to understand it. But why, why, why are we not connect, connecting the dots? <laughs> and I believe it's because for the most part, we are not understanding how the Bible is being put together. It's just like watching those movies. And you miss the script when it says five years earlier. You are still parked looking at the scene you are watching, but they've gone back five years. And you are scratching your head and say, well, this doesn't make any sense. That's exactly what's happening with the scriptures. Let me, give, let, let, let me just, for, for a start, as a pastor for years, I want to raise an offering. What's the popular scripture? Luke 6, 38. Give, and it shall be given. Good measure. Press down. Shaking together, running over, shall men give unto our bosom? That, that's that's a standard. That's like an SOP for offering of taking offering. If there's ever a thing that's called SOP, standard operating procedure. You want to raise an offering? This is your scripture, Luke six thirty eight. Give and it shall be given. Now, but when you read the passage carefully, you will understand that Jesus was in no wise talking about money. Absolutely not. And the way you can prove that, forget going to Palestine to prove it. When was the last time you gave an offering in the church? Maybe last Sunday. Did you get a return, price down, shaking together, running over, mind given to your bosom? Hello, anybody? If, if when we give, it's been given back to us, price down, shaking together, Running over. Man gives to our bosom. Everybody in this room will be a trillionaire. However, when you read the context of the message, where Jesus is talking about critical spirit being judgmental and judging people, immediately when you put that scripture in application, how many times have you been judged because you open your mouth and judge other people? I can tell you it happens to me every week. Do you see what I'm saying? Do, do, do you understand what I just threw out there? Wait, 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 wait. You guys are looking at me like, was that, was that straightforward? In other words, when you and I become critical or judgmental about others, unduly, God is cautioning you. Don't forget, bank, what you give out is coming back. So wait around the corner for someone to talk about you, for someone to, criti to criticize you, to judge you, because you judge somebody else. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, does that mean we cannot extrapolate from that and say, well, when you give, it shall be given unto you? Of course we can. But you must understand, though, that that was not the primary reason for which that scripture was given. In fact, in fact, it has been said that we can use the Bible to support 
suicide. We, we, we can almost say, you, you, you can tell a people, go and commit suicide. It's biblical. By just pulling scriptures and putting it together. Now, of course, it's not scripture. Please don't go here and say, I'm saying you can go and kill yourself. No, I didn't say that. I'm just telling you how, how the Bible is such a wide open book that people can read into it whatever they want to read into it and get out of it whatever they want out of it. That's, what, that's the point I'm making. If you just join scriptures together that's not supposed to flow together, you can come up with a conclusion that God never made. Like when you say, what that must do, do go do it quickly. And then you say, Jesus, Judas hung himself. You put that together, you say, well, it's time to go commit suicide. It's the word of God. So I am shocking you to help you understand what I, what I, what I said at the beginning. Reading our Bibles without getting confused. In order to do that, there are certain things we must know. There are certain things we must know. We must know. Are, you, are you still here? Yes. <laughs> Praise God. All right, so um, Revelation, can you give this out, please? You should have enough copy for everybody. Everybody. So let's, let's, let's just look at this first. Hallelujah. So the pair offend you or something? Did they criticize you or something? <laughs> so now you get on your knees and give Pierre one. Ah. Amen. Okay, 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 okay. Even though, as believers, we are not under the law, but under grace, we still have the effects of our old life under the law imprinted in our minds. That is, a law mindset. A law mindset is an old way of thinking that causes you to rely on your performance to make things happen instead of relying on the indwelling life of Christ. Okay? Five key things that happen when a person has a law mindset. Five key things. Number one, you strive to become what you already are. Now, so how much more righteous can you and I get? How much more righteous? This is the first issue that any believer must settle if you want to walk under grace. In fact, let, let me just even talk about that for a minute before we go further in this, in this thing. So this, this is the deal. Until the last five years, until the last five, six years, I thought I understood grace and walked in grace. I thought I understood grace and walked in grace until the last five years, five or six years. Now, this is what I'm saying by that. I do not know any believer or any man of, or woman of God that you're going to say to them and say, do you believe in grace? The answer is yes. We all say we believe in grace. We believe in the gospel, gospel of grace. I mean, the Bible is clear, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved. 
through faith. That's where I was five, six years ago. I had a mental ascent of what grace was. And so I saw grace, the way I see faith, the way I see prosperity, the way I see healing, the way I see the gifts of the Spirit, the way I see prophecy. So I saw grace as another layer in the scriptures. Are you you following what I'm saying? Pastor David, the person that you were just with, the ministry that you were just with, that's, that's the issue. They see grace as just another subject matter. So I saw it as a doctrine, as a curriculum. And nothing can be further from the truth. It is not a curriculum. It isn't a doctrine. Grace is a person. Jesus. So I'm thinking this grace thing, okay, it has to, if I understand it like I understand healing, or if I understand like I understand praying, I saw it as as an aspect of, of what God is giving us, but I did not see the totality of it. So you're walking around just, yeah, grace, okay. But I want to submit to us tonight, it's not just a doctrine, it's not a curriculum, it's not another uh, verse out of the scripture. Number one, it's a person. And then consequently, because it, it is a person, it is a lifestyle. Everything you shared with us last night, whether you're a theologian or you understand that, so everything you said is grace personified. Completely. And that's the kind of life that God wants to bring all of us into, where we are not even, we are, we are an automatic, we are in a, it's, it's, it's like autopilot. It's, it's, just, it's just the second nature. There's no, there's no, it's just the only way. It's a person, it's a lifestyle, and it's a system. Grace is a person, and we're going to see that all this week. It's a lifestyle, and it's a system. Unfortunately, people have one or two questions that they just get stuck on those questions, and they are not able to fully press in to understand the message because they have one or two questions. Uh, we've, we've majored on the minor things and we're just minoring on the, on the major. So God has to help us to understand that this is not just another doctrine, this is not just another uh, curriculum, this is not just uh, an aspect of the Bible, this is the Bible. We know scriptures that talk about the, sp- the Spirit of Christ. We have scriptures that talk about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ the Spirit of God. And then we have Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, that talks about the Spirit of grace. Zechariah chapter, Zechariah chapter, 12, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 10, that talks about the Spirit of grace. So if the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of grace, therefore, a simple mathematical equation is God and Christ and grace is the same. Does that, does that make sense? Chief, you see that? I mean, we, have, we have no problem saying the Spirit of God is God. We have no problem saying the Spirit of Christ is Christ, is God. 
<laughs> Likewise, that spirit of grace is God. It's a lifestyle. Well, amen. That's my amen right there. <laughs> it's like, and that's, that's, that's what I'm laboring to get us to see in these next few days. So that we don't, so, so it's not something we, like a hat, we wear and take off. Put it on and put it off. Put it on and put it off. Any more than you can put it on Jesus and put him off. This is a lifestyle. And the point I was making is for years, as a preacher, as a minister, as a believer, I went around thinking that grace was something I can put on and take off. Not recognizing it's really a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's a receiving system. It's a person. That's important we get, we get that settled. Is, is everybody clear on that? I'm willing to back up, slow down, take your question on that point right away. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Grace. The Bible names, calls him the Spirit of Grace. At least in two scriptures. At least in two scriptures. Amen? Good. All right. So back to this. So we, we, we are not striving to become what we already are. If you are born again, you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It does not matter how many more times you fast or how many more times you pray. We must fast. We must pray. Those are essential disciplines. But none of those things are going to make you any more righteous than you already are. That is, that is hard for some of us to, to accept. No. You're already righteous. Number two, we are seeking to find what we already possess. We are seeking to find what we already possess. Let me just go to a couple of scriptures here. Uh, let me go to this scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Romans 8.32, look at what it says. He, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give you all things, or freely give us all things? So whatever God has for us, how much do you have to pay for it? You guys are not answering me? Read that scripture again. He who did not spare his own son. Now, is his son more valuable than a car that I need? Is his son more valuable than a house? If he did not spare his own son, but deliver him up for us all, how shall he not with him, that is Christ, also, Freely give us all things. All things are what? Free. Free. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to merit it. I don't have to deserve it. And the reason we struggle with some of these things is because we really fully do. I was telling Revelation the other day, there are two scriptures, and this is one of them actually. There are two scriptures that I think 
we don't really fully understand even though they are the most common of all scriptures. Everybody in this room knows that scripture. John 3.16. I think all of us know it just about. Put that on the board for me, on the, on the screen for me. John 3.16. Because we, we, we still struggle. If he did not spare his own son. Now, wait a minute now. I have three kids. I am sorry. I'm not giving any of my kids for anybody. I'm not. I don't know anybody here that will give up their child to go die for somebody else. No matter what has, what's at stake. We won't do it. God gave up his son. Delivered him for us all. All. Now, if he was willing to do that, now he's going to have a hard time to give me a car if I need one. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Very, very simple scripture. I think, I don't, I mean, everybody knows it. But you know what? Even as believers, 90% of us don't believe it. We don't. Because this is where it starts. Because if we believe this scripture, <laughs> we will not struggle with the gospel of God's grace. For God so loved the world. The world that hates God. Oh. It is given now said, for God so loved the church. For God so loved the world. The world that mocked God. The world that hates God. The world that despises God. The world that refuses to obey God. The world that refuses to honor him. Yet he loved the world. Now, his love was not that kind of love that is just passive love. I love you. No. That word love, there's a verb. Action. He loved the world. He did something. This is a love that compelled him to do something. For the world he loved. Now, what's the condition to tap into this gift of God? Whosoever believes. For God so loved the world, he gave his own begotten son that whoever believes in him, that's the only condition. Why are we trying to find more conditions? Why? Please hear me. I'm not trying to be a heretic. But tell me if you if, if write this. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever does not sin should not perish. Is that what it says? Ah, help me now, please. Is that what it says? Pastor, are you saying that people should say, no, I'm not saying that. But I'm just trying to say to us, don't read into the scripture what God has not said. The only condition to being a part of God's family is believing him. No, sin is a bad preposition. We're going to get to that on that subject. But I'm, just, I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with now. Because what happens to us is we, we, it, it's so simplistic, it's so 
profound, and we just say, no, God, you don't mean what you mean. You must, I mean, you need to add some things to this. Believe is not enough. Because if we believe this, grace will be easy to accept. We won't be splitting ears on all the disagreements and all the controversies about grace. It's because right here, we have a problem. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the only condition for everlasting life is believing. That's it. Whether I like it or not, if I think God is too generous or not, it's not asking for my opinion. And when he sent his son to die for my sins, he didn't ask me about it. So why do I now think I'm going to now manipulate God to add to the scriptures what he didn't put in there to begin with? But that's not all. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 17. Because this, this is what we do. Yeah, right there, right, right verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Ooh. We do not like the LBGTQ. They are gays. We don't like them. So we have to condemn them. Is that correct? Look at what the scripture says. Wow, you guys, I, I know. I, I'm For God did not. So why are we as a church? When I say church, I'm not talking about work friend. I'm not talking about your church. I'm, I'm talking about the universal church. Why are we? Why are we? Why, why, how have we missed this? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Did God know that the world is not living for him? Yes. Did he know that the world hates him? Yes. Did he know that the world will not honor him? Yes. <clears throat> Did he know that the world is living in sin? Yes. And with all of that, he said, I'm not sending my son to condemn them. Because he understands that no one comes to him by condemnation. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Come on. Listen, I hope you guys understand this. I'm speaking to myself as well. Though. Because sometimes, I mean, I think we were on the way to one of the last time, my wife and I, and uh, were you there with us? And, and Bishop and Sumba were on, your, were on the way to you guys, and we saw some people that we didn't quite like. <laughs> We were just shocked. We saw them, the way they were walking, the way they, I said, oh. <laughs> we didn't quite like them. But this is the deal. How can God use us to reach them when in our hearts we already condemn them? It's not possible. It's not possible. Listen, when we fully understand and receive the grace of God, it should change the way we see everything. It should change the way we see everything. For God did not send his, world, his son into the world to condemn the world. You know, I never really paid attention to John 17, 3, 17 before, to be honest with you. I just, I just read over that quickly. I, I read, I see John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, blah, 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 blah. I never quite see <laughs> that, that 17 is just as equally important as 16. Because when we condemn people, 
We're already saying, God, you can do it. We're saying, God, you can't change these people. Whatever they are, whoever they are, whatever they are in. Can you imagine if somebody wrote off Apostle Paul? Can you imagine that? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Ah, man. So right there you see the heart of God. In those two verses. And when we believe those two verses, it changes us immediately. So Father, in the name of Jesus, before I even go any further, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to do an inner work in us where we're not just parroting your scriptures and, and talking about it and misrepresenting you. Help us to receive the love that you have not only for us but for those outside of us who need you desperately. Help us that we can become true instruments. Instruments in your hands to love someone, to, to, to be kind to them, and to speak words of encouragement, of affirmation. Because at the end of the day, all mankind is made in your own image and likeness. Lord, we just don't want to know scriptures. We want to know the God of scriptures. Help us, Father. Thank you for the change, the transformation. In Jesus' name. So I'm praying that one of the things that will happen to us when we live here is we stop condemning people. And now this is not just for the church. I mean, for the world, rather. We do the same thing at church. We do the same thing. It's just, it's just much more vicious when we're speaking to people outside of the church. Or people that we think... Uh, do not speak like us, do not act like us, do not behave like us. Now, it's going to take all of the Holy Spirit to help us. It's going to take all of the Holy Spirit. Um, I was telling Bishop earlier today, I'm reading a book right now on the, the conversion of a, of a high-profile gay leader. Uh, and it's just, it's just totally revolutionary for me. Um, how God reached this person. And again, it goes back to this scripture, John 3, 17. That's really what it did for her. She uh, came in contact with, with a pastor, a reformed Dutch Presbyterian pastor, we just sent her a note to ask her, after she gave me a, a huge speech at a huge gay rally, uh, I don't know how this guy got a hold of the message, and uh, sent her a note to say, do you actually believe the, all the things you said? Are you open for lunch so we can talk more about this? Now she says she got 50% hate mail and 50% affirmation and just this one mail that didn't 
feel fit in, into any of the categories. And for a week, she couldn't do anything. That thing just laid on her desk. She threw, threw it away, came back, threw it away, came back. So finally, she took the pastor up, she took the guy up on it. Uh, went to dinner in his house, him and his wife. And for three years, the pastor did not fail to meet with her. They talked, they became friends, they fellowshiped, they argued, but she became so secured in the love coming from that man that after about three and a half years, she began to make the gradual, gradual conversion. It's, it's, the, it's, it's, it's very powerful. I think every man of God, any, every woman of God needs to get hold of that book. It's unbelievable. But the, this is the takeaway. The takeaway was what opened her up was the fact that this pastor did not condemn her. And was willing to spend time with her without asking the question, are you gay? He never brought it up. Eventually, she did, because she wanted to know, you know, I mean, why, why, why are we still talking? What's, what's going on? I mean, because, because she said, he said, he said the, the challenge with Christians is that Christians don't think they just talk. That's what she said. She's, this lady is an English professor. So she's very, she's an avid reader. She just reads everything. She's read the Bible cover to cover many times to argue against the, what she calls the moral right. Now, this is what got me. This man and his wife was willing to invest three years in life of someone that they don't know will ever come to church. <laughs> three years. Three years. Now, when she said that, and she didn't, get, she didn't make a conversion, a, conversion, a conversion in just one night. No. It was incremental. Now, that, 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 really took, that, that, really, that really shocked me. Because after about three years of sharing with this man back and forth and back and forth, she said, one night she just prayed a prayer. Because, okay, so, 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 <laughs> so this is what happened. This, this is the, almost the final straw. So the guy said to him, to her, after they become friends over a three-year period, uh, she, had a living, she had a partner. I mean, this lady was a full-bloom, uh, whatever they call them. She was full-bloom. I mean, this... I mean, fool. I mean, okay, so you guys understand. Yeah. So he said to her, can I come to your class and give a lecture on the, uh, on the Bible? The lady said, absolutely not. I've lived all my life talking against the Bible. I'm going to bring it to my class. And go, no. But this, I'm going to do this, though. Whatever you want to say about the Bible, can you, can, can you just say it to me? Assume that I'm the class, you are, the, you are, you are doing the speech. And, he took, and, and, and the guy said, okay, good, no problem. Can you believe that? And this guy came, him, his wife, and this uh, lady, and gave the speech about one hour. She said it was long, it was tough for her to just hear it. She said because the more she heard it, that this man was telling her through that message that this one book canceled the 60 books on her shelves. That she's looking at her, at her, at her, at the library she's built in her life as a professor. And in 60 minutes, 
This guy is proving to her that this one book nullifies everything she's ever read. Ah! She said she told him, you got to go tonight. Just, let, let's call it, just go home. Let, let me just take it. <laughs> and then she started thinking. And she started thinking. And then she prayed one simple prayer. First, she asked the guy, now, if that for me to believe everything you said tonight, it has to mean that the, the Bible is the absolute truth of the word of God. He said, do you have proof of that? The man said, that's another day. I'll come back next week and bring you that proof. So it was in between that. She went to bed and just prayed that simple prayer. Jesus, if this, if this is really true, I've attacked you, I've done that, 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 that. Are you really who this man just said you are? And she said, as she prayed that prayer, she knew without a shadow of doubt that the presence of God came over the place like she has never imagined possible. Now, this is an unbeliever. She's not converted at this point. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this because you need to see that God did not condemn the world. And he not withhold his presence. The presence of God came in the room. She knew without a shadow of doubt. Even though she would not open her mouth to admit it and repent that moment, she knew. Now, watch this. Her home was always open. All the gay friends, they have cookouts, they play cards, they do things night after night after night. And before she could even make a confession of faith, they began to say a change in her. They began to say a change in her. They were calling her and saying, Rosario, what's, what's going on with you? What's happening to you? you, you you're not like you used to be. I mean, what's going on? They were asking her those questions. <laughs> and, and, and the point is, God had already begun to do an inside work. And it was manifesting on the outside without any effort. Without any effort on her part, people were saying to her, something is going on with you. What is it? What are you doing? What's going on with you? And at the same time, she said she was pulling away. She found her partner not... She, she found that her and her partner were not as com compatible as before. They, they were losing... She was losing the attraction for her. She's not born again yet. Her conversion took up a five-year period. Yeah. But here's the point. And I want us to consider this tonight. This is the point. Because after I read that book, I went to the scriptures. And I saw exactly what happened. I was telling Bishop this, this afternoon. Jesus called his disciples, apostles, before they were born again. He called them apostles. He called them disciples. And they were not born anything. Did I make that up? Did you, have you guys seen that in your scriptures? Ah, don't worry, talk to me now. Have, have you guys? Have you guys read where he named those guys and the Bible says he named them apostles? By our own conventional understanding, who's an apostle? First criteria, born again, right? Filled with the Holy Ghost. Signs and wonders, is that correct? That's man-made theology. These guys were not born anything and God called them an apostle. Why? Because he saw their future and named them now. He's calling those things that be not as though they were. 
It's not going to wait until you have the mantle of an apostle to call you one because you already know he called you to be one. So the lady was saying, Christians would like to get you born again before they fellowship with you. Which makes sense. That's what we do. We see them, you need to be born again. If you don't, born again, if you don't serve God, you're going to hell. We pull the hell card out of the way. We send you now. Express. <laughs> but Jesus was willing to live with those guys for three and a half years with no guarantee that they would be born again. That's what he did. That's what grace does. Because grace is trying to give something without you deserving it. Does it make any sense? So I said to myself, bank, you need to be born again, again. <laughs> Woo, that is serious. So that man of God and his wife did the dirty work for about three, four, five years. And the lady came to Christ, eventually. And the LBGT community felt betrayed by her. That's another story. I won't even get into that tonight. Because they said the things we both fought against. Now you're on that side. So now you can, I, I brought that up because now you can appreciate what happened to Apostle Paul. Who was a Pharisee. The champion of the law. Trained by Gamaliel. Who had the authority to go all over the place to take Christians and put them in jail and kill them. Now you found Jesus. And you're going to come to us with a different message to repudiate what we both lived for? Are you kidding me? The law we both cut our teeth on. Now you are telling us we don't live under the law any longer? How dare you, Paul? But it's a new day. And as I'm saying to us today, I pray that we'll receive this message not as a doctrine, not as a curriculum, but as a way of, of life, as a lifestyle, and just... Ask God. Listen, it's not easy. I, I told you, we were in Warner Robins, we saw these people, and we were just, we cringed. But I know, even since then, that that is not the right spirit of God. It isn't. Because think about it. How would Jesus respond? <laughs> How would he respond? Love cannot be something that's selective. Either we have the love of God or we don't have it. We can't choose and pick. I'm going to love you because you are good. You look good. You smell good. Or I'm not going to love you because whatever the reason is. Amen? Amen. Okay. Yes. Okay, so, so let me go back to the book then. At some point, because the lady kept on raising the issue, the man didn't go there at all. So Ina said to her, let me show you I quote it correctly. He said, I accept you as a lesbian, but then I approve you as a lesbian. That was one sentence he spoke to her. I accept you as a lesbian, but then I approve you as a lesbian. 
Now, by the time he spoke this to her, he had enough change in her pocket. He has loved her and loved her and loved her, done things together, been places together. She was secured in understanding that he loved and accepted her. Because she's, she's writing the story. And she said, I understand it, I get it. And she was not annoyed by that at all. Yes. Um, so how does that translate to like more specific okay. um, situation? Like I have a very good friend and she's about to get, well, when she was about to get married, she invited me to the wedding. Yes. She, she's, um, she's a lesbian. Yes. Um, in the past, before I um, knew Christ, I was totally against her and it severed our relationship. Yes. 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 But in a situation where you're now invited to this wedding. Yes. Like what is like? I mean. Okay, I will not give you a, uh, what they call it cookie cutter cookie cutter answer because that's that's where, that's where we get in trouble. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah. I will not give a cookie cutter answer because that's the John three sixteen answer. No, I will not go. If I said I will not go. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the safe, escape, corporate answer. So the answer I'll give you is, ask God. Ask God. You see, that, that, that's why I call it the spirit of grace. He is the one that knows what he wants to accomplish in anybody's life at any time. So for you, God may say, go. To the displeasure of everybody else around you. To somebody else, you don't go. Again, to the displeasure of everybody else. That's how we know that is the Spirit of God. The answer for every situation will not be the same. He's the one that knows where that person is at that time. He's the one that knows that. Your presence at the wedding may be the only the thing that tips them over. To start asking serious questions. And you're saying no, cross will be it. Because each situation is different. But the thing for us is we are lazy in our discipline, number one. Or number two, we don't really believe in the Holy Spirit. We have the lip service, our Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. But do we really believe is concerned and wants to get involved in every aspect of our lives? We don't. So some decisions we think we can make on our own and others we take to him. That's the amazing thing about this, this lady's conversion. I mean, the, the way this woman prays about everything, it makes me look like I'm still in the kindergarten. I'm talking about everything. Everything. The, the, I mean, the discipleship, the, 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 what she went through to get born again, put something in her to where she understands the intimacy of spending time with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So for a person like that, they know that every decision is a prayer decision. 
not just a mind decision. And that's what they say that Christians will just, will just utter the words, you need to be born again. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that we are answering questions nobody's asking. That's the way she put it. Yeah. Because you, you look at Jesus, the way Jesus dealt with people. The woman at the well. See how tender he was. The woman caught in adultery. Look how tender he was. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. What would make him go to a tax collector's house? Tax collector? In our world today, if RIS invites you to his house, Uncle Sam, you'll be, you'll be wondering, hey, this guy's going to put his hand in my pocket before I leave. <laughs> you, you can't trust Uncle Sam. I mean, you just... You just... But he went. He went. Luke 15 says, sinners were driven to him. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Sinners were driven to him. So, I hope, uh, you know, I'm sorry I can't give you any more. Yeah, that's, that's it. So, so, the best answer is just, Spirit, Spirit of God, what shall I do? Sally wants me to come to her wedding. What shall I do? And you must expect that anytime God speaks to you, there are going to be, God is one, He speaks to you, there are going to be 99 people that will not agree with it. So you must understand that. Because one with God is a majority. Because if you don't settle that and understand that, you'll never be able to, to flow with God. Now, I don't know how I got into the issue of LBGT, but, but I know it's a critical thing. The church is in a very tough place now. We were in England for one week, and every day the question came up. Is that correct? Every day. Every morning, the question came up among the pastors. I will answer it this morning. Tomorrow it came up again. I said, well, you're not here yesterday. He said, I was here. And then they answered. Different ways. Every day the question came up. And the issue is, the church better get ready. They are not coming. They are here. Yes. I'll, I'll get it to you. I'll get it to you. I can't even remember the name of it. That's some, something about some confession. Actually, it was Jamal. I had lunch with Jamal on Thursday. Uh, Jamal, Jamal Baker. Yeah, we had lunch together on Thursday, and I was asking him, because this question keeps on, oh, Jamal, you know Jamal now. Yeah, because this question just keeps on coming up all over. And over. I asked him, I said, how are you guys dealing with this? And he told me, he said, listen, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not easy, but you have to be resolute. And we cannot be condemning. And uh, told me about, you know, about the book. And I came home, ordered the book, got it the next day. And man, had to put it down. Had to put it down. Okay. Ah, thank God for Georgia, Georgia heat. It's hot. It's... Any other question on that? Are there any gay lovers here this, this evening? <laughs> I just... Yeah, you have a question, Jerry? Yes, go ahead. Just a uh, point. So basically, we need to love the person regardless of the sin. Absolutely. Drunkard, drug addict, whatever it would be, but hate the sin. Correct. So if we keep that in our mindset, what would Jesus do? He would always love. And uh, the point of going to the wedding? Yes. If you go, you're letting the light of Christ so shine no matter where you go. 
And as long as you do the love and let the light so shine, you'll make a difference in everyone's life. Amen. Amen. Because look, look at the opportunity it gives you to share. Now, like I said, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit be the one that determines what I do in, in, in a scenario like that. Especially as, as a minister, because they're going to, they, it's going to happen. They're going to ask you to marry them. Yeah, they're going to ask you to marry them. It's going, it's going to happen. So you're going to have to have a God answer for that situation. Like in this, uh, in the case of the book that I just read, the guy was very firm in saying, you know, I accept you as a, as a lesbian. I have no problem with that. I just don't approve of, uh, of, of, of being a lesbian, Some, something like that. I can't, I can't remember the exact words. And she received it very well because he has shown her enough love. Enough, I mean, he was willing to be seen with her. He was willing to, because some of us, I mean, we don't, I mean you, you, you meet them in the, the, in the cover of dark. Make sure there's nobody seen. I mean, we, 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 so we, <laughs> we were taking cover. But he, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Amen? So when we're walking in grace, we, 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 we stop striving to become what we already are. Uh, we are not trying to find what we already possess. And number three point here, we do not try to measure up when you already do. You do not measure up. You, you're not trying to measure up when you already do. In other words, I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm not trying to be accepted because I'm already accepted. All of us, Ephesians tells us, in Ephesians chapter 1, that we are already accepted in the beloved. The reason people get into gangs is because they, sense, they, have, they, they have a sense of belonging or a sense of acceptance in that gang that they otherwise feel that they don't have. So when we fully understand that we did not earn God's acceptance, God did not accept us because we did something so marvelously or because we are such a good person or because... No, he accepts us because of his son. Jesus gives me and you significance. And when I understand that, that is an essential need to feel significant, to feel accepted. Yeah, it is an essential need. Uh, but we cannot meet that need outside of him. It will, it will drive you crazy. Especially in ministry. Trying to be all things to all men in every situation. It's tough. It's tough. After a while, you forget who you are. You lose your identity. Because to this group, you do this. To that group, you do that. To that group, you do that. You, you, you can't do it. You can't do it. So, we don't need to measure up to anybody. We are already measured. And we are already accepted in the beloved. There's nothing anybody can do to add to you. Amen? Number four, you try to cross a divide that isn't there. Now, this is massive deception. People will tell you, if you do X, Y, Z then God will hear you. Or if you don't do this and you don't do that, God may not hear you. Oh, wow. How do you know? How do you know this? You read this book? <laughs> oh, I forgot. The book, she sent it to me and you. Okay. 
Thanks for that secret. So the title of the book is The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. <laughs> the Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting title, isn't it? <laughs> the Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. I need to give it to my doctor in person. The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Easy, good read. Actually, by the time you get to page 18, you're already, you're already finished. Yes. By the time you get to page 18, you're finished already. You're finished by, by page 18. All your religious Christian, Christianese is gone out of you by page 18. <laughs> you're, already, you're already detoxicated from all your traditional thinking by page 18. So if you can survive it in page 18, then you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Amen. Good. So you try to cross a divide that isn't there. Folks, if you and I can just, ah, man, Stephen was sharing last night. He gave a testimony last night, you know, in prayer. And, 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 and if we can just understand what God has done for us, you understand that you and I, as a result of Jesus, have access to the throne. And this access is 24-7. That's why the issue of condemnation is so, is, so, is so important. Because what happens when you're condemned? You feel that I'm not worthy to go to God. That's what condemnation does. I mean, as a kid, I remember, uh, you know, I go to class, uh, bad, I get a, good, a bad grade. I, I, can't, I can't take that grade home and just, and, just, and just tell my father I just made a D. Where we came from, Jerry? You made a D? They will paint a D in your head with some serious... <laughs> Man! <laughs> so what will happen most times is you put that report in a place and you run away. And you're watching from afar off. When is that thing going to catch fire? If your father is coming this way, you go the other direction. <laughs> Why? You know you did something wrong and that condemnation is working on you. You don't dare come to your father at that time and say, I need uh, uh, pocket money. I need, I need to buy some lunch at school. Lunch? <laughs> you don't starve! <laughs> the sense of belonging is totally lost. Condemnation says you're not worthy. You have no right to be here. And even if you come, nobody will listen to you. That's why condemnation is so bad. That's why Jesus in John chapter 8 told that woman caught in adultery. Where are you? Who, who, who condemns you? He first allowed her to look around. Nobody. He said, well, neither do I condemn you. Then he says, go and sin no more. The power to not sin was based on those words, neither do I condemn you. That's what enabled the woman to live free and not sin any longer because she understood she was not under condemnation. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9 because this is, this is such a big issue. In fact, you read in the book of Acts chapter 13, I believe it is, 
how the Bible talks about, no, go to Hebrews 9, but in Acts 13, God talks about, about David, that he was a man after God's heart. David, God testified. I mean, this, this is amazing. If, if it was someone we did not know, we'd say, okay, oh man, this is a great man, I'd like to meet him. The Bible recorded for us all the sins of David. His shortcomings and his failure. And yet God came back in the book of Acts after David is long dead and said, it's a man after my own heart who will do all of my will. God, are we talking about the same person? Because the David I know is not like that. The first thing we think about is Bathsheba. We think about Uriah the Hittite. We think about how he numbered the troops. We, thought, we think about how he was not a great father. He was not a good moral mother for his kids. All the things David didn't do right come up in our mind. And yet God never referenced any of that. You will know why? Because David was a man who had absolute, total, complete confidence in the love of God for him. He believed John, John 3.16. For God, for God so loved the world. He knew that no matter how badly he's blown it, he does not need to run away from God, he runs towards God. God became his refuge. He had absolute confidence that as long as he ran to God, God would never cast him out. And that's what you and I struggle with. That's what the enemy tells us. God don't love you, don't love you anymore. You made a mistake. You fell into that sin, you're finished. You will never be anointed again. Nobody will hear you again. You've lost the favor of God. And the enemy sings that song long enough, we tend to believe it. Hebrews 9, chapter 8. Hebrews 9, verse 6. Verse 6. Look at what it says. Now when these things had, had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing services. Next verse. But into the second part of the but into the second part the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. Next verse, verse eight. The Holy Spirit indicating this that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. Verse 8 is where I was going. Let me, let, me, let me break that down. Under the law, under the tabernacle of Moses, the Israelites did not have the liberty to access God directly. They didn't. They had to access God through a priest, through Moses, through Aaron. They didn't dare approach God directly. Now go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Big change has taken place. In the old covenant under the law, they didn't dare do it. 
Now. Give me verse 19 again. Therefore, brethren, having boldness. In other words, be bold. Be bold. You can enter into the holiest. How? By the blood of Jesus. The blood has been shed. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. No. This is the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself. And by this blood, you are have access to the holiest. Verse 20. By a new and living way. Oh my goodness. Why, why do we call it new? Because this new has replaced the old. That word new is very significant. What it's saying is that whatever this is, has superseded what was before it. That's why it's new. So you buy a new house, you say, I, mean, I bought a new house. What does that mean? It means you had an old one, you've discarded it. It's old. You're no longer living in the old house, I mean a new house. Immediately people know, okay, you had one before, now you have a new one. Now, if you're in a new house, do you go back living in the old? Answer me. <laughs> when you trade your old car in at the dealership and you drove from there in a new car to your house, do you, go, do you lay in your bed at night and say, oh man, I'm in this new car, but I, I miss my old one. I wish I could go back to and get my old car back. You don't think like that. You understand that the new has superseded the old. And you continue to live and enjoy the new, not going back to the old. Yeah. What would Ruth be like? The Moabite. Who having married Boaz begins to think, reminisce about Melon, who is dead. Can, can, do you understand that? Ruth is married to Boaz. And Boaz is holding her in, in his hands. And she says, oh, Boaz, take it easy. Oh, man, I, I just, I really kind of enjoy this for thinking about my lawn. Would that not be ridiculous? That's a new one. That's a new way. A new, not just new, living way. Ooh. It's not just a new way. This new way is living, it's organic, it's evolving. Every day, there's something new and dynamic about it. That's why I said to Tanita, you just can't have an answer to say, the wedding, you would never go. There's a living way, there's a living thing that's happening. Something that's living changes. If you have an SOP that's a living organism, that means it's subject to change. So God is saying to us, there's a new way. But not only is there a new way, it's also a living way. Because to one I say, eyes be opened, and the eyes open. To another I say, go wash in the lake, and the eyes open. To each one, I will not do it in the exact same way every time. Why? Because there's a living way. That's the problem. So church, we get in the road. And we, uh, and we take the Holy Ghost and we put it into a routine. So we say in order for anybody to get born again, we wait till the end of the service to make an altar call. That's the routine. The Holy Ghost at the first song says, you are ready, come now. 
But the pastor said, no, 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 oh, don't mess up our program. You can't get born again yet. Wait another 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Because we keep on forgetting it's a new and living way. It's organic. And God did this in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. Peter was speaking. Before he could finish his sermon, boom, the Holy Ghost came. He started speaking in tongues. Peter said, wait, wait a minute, Holy Spirit? Excuse me? It's my turn. I can almost see Peter arguing with the Holy Ghost. I've not finished my message. Wait till I finish. And then you can get him back. No, he didn't wait. He didn't wait. Boom! Holy Ghost came there and got him back again. Why? Because it's a new and living way. We must be mindful of that. Everything you and I do under the covenant of grace is new and living, which means it's subject to change. You have to remind yourself that it's subject to change. Now, as humans, we don't like change. We like that which is familiar. In fact, we like that which we can predict. We can predict it. And so we are familiar or we are comfortable with that which we can predict. But if you're going to live in this way, you must understand it's a new and it's a living way, which means it's subject to change as the Holy Spirit seeks or desires. Huge. Huge. By a new and living way, which he, Jesus, consecrated for us, how? Through the veil that is his flesh. Verse 22. And having a high priest over the house of God. So this is the issue. This is the issue. You and I today are not striving to come to God's presence. There's no divide between you and God. Ah, I'm about to say something now. If you're not careful, you think I'm heretic. I want to warn you before I say it. Let me warn you before I say it. You know the common prayer, our Lord's prayer? Our, our Lord's prayer. All of us know it. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Are you really sure about that? Not only is it Old Testament, but are you sure about what you just said? Our Father which art in heaven, is he in heaven? Is he in heaven? <laughs> the reason I'm asking that question, you see, we are comfortable as long as there's a divide. I'm here, God is over there. That's a divide. So now I must do something. I must, there's an effort I must make to get to where God is. Then the Bible says, Christ in you. The hope of glory. In other words, do you, do you really have a sense and awareness of the fact that God is not in a far away heaven? But that the heaven is, is in you. The day Jesus went to the cross and rose again from the cross, heaven changed location. Heaven changed location. Heaven is not in you. 
That's where anywhere you go, you just brought heaven there. But if we don't have that sense of understanding, we are begging for things we already own. We are striving to, make, to, to, to cross a divide that's not there. We are asking for something we already possess. It's crazy. It goes on and on and on. Why? Because we lack the sense of understanding that heaven is not in you. Demons know that. They understand that. That's why the Bible says they believe and they tremble. They have no problem understanding that. We are the ones that have the problems. So if I know that heaven is in me and God is in me, there's no divide. In other words, wherever you go, you carry God there. Absolutely. And we must understand that and live like that. Yeah. And then of course, lastly, we're asking God to do what is already done. We're asking God to do what he has already done for the most part. How do we do that? Ah. How do we do that? And I need, I need to move on. Let me, just, let me just throw this out there. How do we do that? How do we, how, how we, how are we asking God to do what is already done? Give a, give a good example. G- exactly. You got it. You took it out of my mouth. By asking for healing. I was just going to go to the example. You're right. In other words, Jesus did not tell, he did not tell his disciples to pray for healing. Because Jesus did not ask his disciples to ask for healing. I mean, to pray for healing. Why? It's quiet. Instead, he said, heal the sick. Ah. Gani, you have read that in your Bible before? <laughs> because the way you're looking at me, you're looking at me. He <laughs> didn't say, go and pray for the sick. He said, heal the sick. Cleanse the leper. Raise the, Raise the dead. So what do I do when I get there? Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to thank you now. God, I, I thank you. I bless your name. God, you're talking about what? I'm asking him to do what he's already done. Are you, is, is, that not, is that not crazy? I guarantee you, we take on that message, we believe that message, and we begin to act on it as God said, we're going to see more results. A lot more result. Cleanse the leper, he says. Heal the sick. I understand I'm the one doing the work in and through you. But you are not my mouth, you are my hands, you are my legs. I need you to go and make the pronouncement. So Jesus demonstrated it for us. He got to the tomb of Lazarus. Father, I thank you because you hear me always. Lazarus, come forth. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, you and I, if we ever get to a point where we recognize who we are, how that we truly are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, if we ever get to that awakening, we will turn the world right side up. Yeah. 
Because what's happening is, on Monday we believe it, on Tuesday we don't. <laughs> on Wednesday we believe it, on Thursday the devil has robbed us of that belief. We say, no, not quite, I don't think so. That's what's happening. But when we get to the point where we believe it 24-7 every day, it is, it's a different story. It's a different story. You cannot find in the book of Acts anywhere where those disciples prayed to God for any healing. They just commanded it. And while we are on that, should I also tell you that there's no, absolutely no prerequisite or condition for those manifestations to take place? Okay, let, let, let me slow down and break that down. Listen, me, as I'm standing here, I've, 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 I've preached the wrong thing. I've, I've stood in crusade grounds in Africa. And I've prayed for people on those lines, and I've said to them, uh, uh, maybe you need to forgive your brother. Uh, you need to uh, uh, third generations. Uh, there's a curse on you. We try to find excuses for which people can receive. You cannot find that in the Bible. You cannot find that in the Bible. Wow, the way you guys are looking at me, it's, it's almost like, you cannot find it. Listen, it's either it's grace or it's not. And if it's grace, it means you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, and you don't merit it. So all through Jesus' ministry, every person he healed, every blind eye he opened, every leper he cleansed, there was absolutely no condition or prerequisite. He didn't say, go and confess your sin to your brother. He didn't say, do you have unforgiveness? None of that. No condition. In fact, none of them was born again. They were all sinners. So if you open the eye of a sinner and heal a sinner with no condition, why are we not placing conditions on believers that they have to do this and do that before they can be healed? Where do we get that from? <laughs> Am I stretching truth? Or is it, or, or, or is it, or is it there? Is it true? <laughs> yeah. That's why I said to you earlier, it cannot be a doctrine it's not a curriculum. It has to be a way of life. That's the issue. That's, 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 I think that's where we'll be missing it. We've been trying to live a grace-filled life as a curriculum or as a doctrine, not really, to be, not really being totally immersed in it and saying that this is a lifestyle. When it becomes a lifestyle, things will happen more on accident than we've ever tried to see them happen on purpose. When, we, when it becomes a lifestyle. More things will happen on accident. What? God did that? You just, oh, wow. This, this, I, I didn't think so. Because that's the way the lifestyle shows itself. In short, 
when we have a love mindset, in short, we try to reaccomplish what Christ already has accomplished on our behalf. That's, that's what a love mindset does. A love mindset causes you to sin. People don't know that. People don't realize that law is what causes sin. First Corinthians.